great to be in the presence of God. He never ceases to amaze me because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what you're dealing with or what you're going through. It may feel like everything is closing in on you, but somehow when you put your confidence and your faith in God, he works things out. He does. He works them out. And oftentimes we have no idea how it happened. <laughs> Just glad that he does, right? Amen. It's so great to see you. If you're a, uh, a guest here with us today, we are so, so very thankful and grateful that you chose to be with us. Uh, lots of places you could be today, but I often say this is the best place to be. I kind of think that. <laughs> so we're going to finalize our series today. We've been talking about wrecked, and um, it's, been, it's been awesome. Uh, we've talked about some, some interesting things that we deal with and trying to find God when things get chaotic because everybody knows it doesn't matter how, you, how much you love Jesus, life happens, right? It doesn't matter how much you try to do the right thing, you're going to mess up. And so we're going to talk about that today. We've been talking about things like what we do when we face loneliness, what we do when we face fear, what we do when we face personal struggles. And I loved Pastor Scott's story last week when he was talking about Facebook and he was talking about pictures of while they were on vacation, fishing at the pond and showing nice pictures of fish. And what we didn't know is he got chiggers. How many know what chiggers are? It's so funny. You just say the word and people just look at you weird like, what is a chigger? Well, it's a little bug that bites you and it itches like crazy. And if you've ever had them, you will never wonder what I'm talking about. You will know. So he was talking about how we put on a front that looks great to everyone, but, you know, oftentimes real life happens behind the scenes. So people face problems. We struggle with problems. We have issues. Some of us have volumes. We, <laughs> we got lots of things that we have to deal with, and sometimes we just can't, try, we can't find God in the mess, right? Because life gets messy. And so we have been using this verse in John chapter 16, and it's my, I think it's become my favorite in the whole Bible. And there's a lot of good verses in there, but this one has been the theme for these last few weeks. And it's Jesus talking, and he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I mean, if Jesus says you're going to have trouble, why do we expect not to have some? Right? We have trouble. It's just the way things are. In this, in this world, you would have trouble. But he doesn't leave us there. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Yes. Isn't that awesome? Yes. So it doesn't matter what we face. We can have confidence that Jesus is always on our side. And we can also have confidence that it doesn't matter what we face. He has already dealt with it for us. All right. So Pastor Scott gave you a sneak peek last week that we're going to be talking about where is God when I do wrong. And let me just tell you this. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christ follower. It doesn't matter if you were like me and you picked bubblegum off the bottom of pews when you were a kid. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how much church you've been around. You're going to have problems. You're going to hit struggles, and you're going to do things wrong. Look at your neighbor and say, you will fail. Don't call him a failure. <laughs> you will fail. It's a given. If you're breathing air and you sleep, and you wake up, and you eat food, you're going to fail. You're going to do things wrong. Given the choice to make two decisions, you're going to pick the wrong one. Sometimes you get on a streak, and it's just you always pick the wrong one. You just make, we just make mistakes. We're broken. We're messed up. And if it wasn't for Christ, we would have no hope. But he has given us an option. 
He has given us an alternative, and he said, you know what? I will clean up your mess if you come to me. <laughs> what a beautiful thing to know that God will do that. And let me just tell you, don't, don't, don't feel like you're the only one because a couple thousand years ago when Paul was writing letters, he wrote about this very thing, and we're going to talk about it in some detail today. Why do I do wrong things? Why? I really want to do the right thing. What's the old saying? The saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Have you ever heard that? In other words, I don't really want to be, you know, I don't really want to have these problems that I'm having. I really don't want to be uh, the guy that's making the wrong decision. I don't want to be the person that's trapped in an addiction. I don't want to be the person that just cannot control my tongue. I don't want to be the per. There's a whole list. We could go on for the next 30 minutes just on lists of things that we don't want to do. But why do I do those things? You know, sometimes we just make the wrong decision. Sometimes we just make the wrong choice. Sometimes we just say the wrong word. Sometimes we just act the wrong way. Sometimes after it's done, we're like, what was I thinking? You ever had that moment where the words leave and you're like, oh, I wish I (laughs) can't grab them. They're gone. Well, I just want you to know that... If you fall prey to the idea that that's just who you are, you're missing something amazing in your life. If you fall prey to the idea that says, well, that's just who I am. You just got to take me or leave me. That's just all you're getting. I'm not going to stop being an angry person. I'm not going to stop being a bitter person. I'm not going to stop not forgiving people because that's just who I am. You are missing God purpose in your life. You are destined to a life of imprisonment and disappointment. But I'm here to tell you today that you do not have to live that way. You don't. There is a better way. And if you've ever asked yourself the question, why do I do things wrong? Paul wrote a very great passage of scripture that I'm going to read to you. It's several verses, but stay with me because this is the key. Romans chapter 7, verse number 18. Paul talking here. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful, in my sinful nature. Paul said, I know that by default, I'm not a good person. Because we're all broken, right? So he recognized this right off the bat. He said, I know that good itself does not dwell in me in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep doing. The the way he writes this is, is a perfect snapshot of what goes on in my head. It's like this circle, right? I'm trying to do the right thing. I can't do the right thing. I want to do the right thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I do the wrong thing. It's just what he's saying. This is a reality that we deal in. In verse 20, he says, now if, I do what I, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So he gives us a sneak peek. Why is it that I struggle? Because there's something, there's a sinful nature in me that draws me down this path. So I find this law at work. He calls it a law. There's a thing called the law of gravity. Right? We don't, the only way we break that is with, with rocket fuel and rocket boosters. <laughs> it's a law. It's not today we have gravity, tomorrow we're not going to have gravity. No, it's a law. The law of harvest. If you plant a, a seed of corn, you're not going to grow tomatoes. Right? Those are laws. So he, Paul calls this a law. So in other words... It's going to happen. He says, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. It's just there. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. 
But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin that is at work within me. And then verse 24, he just sums it up. He says, what a wretched man I am. Just, he's just feeling really low right now. Just, I'm a wreck. And he says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death or this person that is always prone to do the wrong thing? And he says, thanks be to God who delivers yes. me Amen. through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he tells this whole story about the struggle of trying to do the right thing, evil always being around, struggle, struggle, struggle. I'm a wreck. Who's going to help me? Jesus provided deliverance. There's four quick things. Paul explains. This is a very principle, a very, very important principle or a law. First of all, recognize that we are prone to failure. Don't pretend like you're above the law. Don't pretend like you never make mistakes. Don't pretend like you put your pants on any different than anybody else with two legs. Don't, you just don't pretend, don't deceive yourself into thinking that you do not make mistakes because, my dear friend, you make mistakes. <laughs> We all do. So recognize that we are prone to failure. Second thing, realize that it takes more than just willpower to do the right thing. It takes more than just your willpower to do the right thing. Because what did Paul tell us? He said there is a law at work. So it doesn't matter how much I would will myself to fly. The law of gravity says, Andrew, unless you strap rockets to your feet, you're not getting off the ground. That's, a, that's exactly what Paul is explaining here. So second thing, realize that it takes more than just your willpower to do what's right. Third, understand that there is a force of darkness that is at war against you. Don't compartmentalize this. Don't pretend like, well, that's just the way things are. No. If you're a Christ follower or if you're planning on being a Christ follower, you can take it to the bank that there is a force of darkness that is waging war against you to keep you off the right path. Accept it. And lastly, accept that Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit within you is the only thing that gives you power to overcome. Willpower won't do it by itself. You pretending like you're perfect won't fix it. The only thing that frees you or is the exception to this law of sin is when you allow the Spirit of God to work in your life. He's already paid the price for us. But whether or not we allow Him to do that good work in us is up to you and I. We get to determine that. Why wouldn't we pick it? (laughs) It's a great solution. Why wouldn't we choose it? Doing the wrong thing is an inevitable reality that we have to face. So here's the question. If we know that it's going to happen, if we've accepted the fact that we really can't get around it, then what do we do with it? What do I do when I do wrong? What am I supposed to do when I fall flat on my face? What am I supposed to do when I'm trying my best to do all the right things and I just have a run of all the wrong things? What do I do when I do wrong? I have a couple questions. Does that become your reality and your identity? Do you begin to view yourself as this is the person I am? If given two choices, right or wrong, I'm always picking the wrong one. That's just who I am. Do you make that your identity? Here's another one. Do you quit on your journey to freedom because you do wrong? Do you stop being associated with the people in your community that believe in you, that are trying to help you stay on the right path? Do you turn away from them and isolate yourself and withdraw because you've made a series of bad decisions? I want to give you a scripture, Proverbs 24, verse 16. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. 
What is it that makes a person righteous if they've fallen? Isn't the very definition of falling indicative of the fact that you have failed? How can you be righteous and be a failure at the same time? You can't. You can't be righteous and be a failure. You can't be righteous and fall. Are you following me here? The difference is what you do after you fall. The difference is what do I do when I make my mistake? The difference maker is how do I respond when I realize I have totally ruined everything? What do I do? The thing that makes a righteous man righteous is the fact that when he falls, he gets back up and continues on the path that he's on. Just because I fall does not disqualify me in any category in dealing with my Heavenly Father. You have to believe that and you have to understand that. When I fail, he is there to redeem me. When I fall, he is there to pick me up. The difference is, do I get up or do I wallow? Do I play the victim card? Do I own the identity of a failure, of a failure that I have made? Or do I push past that and recognize that I may have made a mistake? I may have made several of the same mistakes, but that is not who God says I am. God says I am a child of his. I'm redeemed. I'm born again. I'm saved. I'm a new creature. All those things that he says about us, that is who we are, not a failure. Those three words, they rise again, is what separates the men from the boys, as my dad used to say. There's two examples. Quickly, I want to, exp- I want to just give you these two parallels. It won't take but a second. Two people that everyone is, if you've had any, any reading in the Bible at all, you know about the 12 disciples, the, the men that Jesus picked and trained and, and, and led and poured himself into. There were two of those 12, and one was Peter and one was Judas, both part of the group. Both part of the in crowd, both part of the guys that Jesus himself picked to be the ones that he was going to train and mentor and develop to spread the gospel throughout the world. And so these two men were were chosen by Jesus, spent time with Jesus. They got to watch all the miracles that Jesus performed. They were the ones that when everybody else was gone and Jesus was finished teaching the masses, he would sit with those 12 and he would share. And the Bible doesn't even capture. Imagine all the conversations they had around the campfire. Imagine all the enlightenment and the understanding and the revelation that Jesus would give to them when they were on their journeys walking and and they were sitting around having lunch together, you know, at McDonald's and they were just breaking Big Macs and they were just talking about God's stuff. Imagine the exposure and the knowledge and the experience that those guys got to have. So they both got to experience all that stuff. But they both faced major decisions at some point in their connection, their relationship with Jesus. First of all, Judas... Judas is so famous for what he did that it actually is a terminology. If, you, if someone treated you or, re, or betrayed you, you would call them a Judas, right? He's earned his reputation as being the one who betrayed Christ. Faced with a choice, he met with the, the enemies of Jesus, and for 30 pieces of silver, he made an agreement, said, I'll take you to Jesus. And so he leads them into the garden where Jesus and the other disciples are praying He walks up to Jesus and he gives him a kiss on the cheek and said, I don't know what he said. Hi, master. (laughs) It wouldn't have been a kiss on the cheek nowadays. It would have been a little different. Fist bump or what's up, man, or something. But whatever it was, there was an indication that this was the guy. And so they captured Jesus and took him into custody. And you know the story that led into the crucifixion. And so Judas, after that connection was made and after he had sold the master for 30 pieces of silver and then... Watching at a distance, he sees that this whole thing was rigged. 
They were, they were standing, Jesus was standing before the religious uh, Sanhedrin, it was called. These were the rulers, the leaders of the religious uh, uh, sect of Jew- uh, Judaism that, that Jesus was a part of or around. And so they began to judge him, and they were judging him according to the law. And their law says that if you're going to judge someone that's convicted of something, you must have two or three witnesses that agree. And they couldn't find two or three witnesses, so they just paid some people to be false witnesses. And Judas is watching this whole thing unfold and realizing they're going to kill this guy. This was not what I had in mind. I just didn't agree with some of his philosophies. I didn't mean for this thing to go that south. So the Bible tells us um, in Matthew and all the Gospels, actually, it tells this story where Judas goes back to the guys he negotiated 30 pieces of silver with. And he says, you know what? I have sinned. He's like, this is wrong. You guys are doing something wrong. I don't want any part of this. And he tries to give him the 30 pieces of silver back. And it's such a terrible passage of scripture because the guys look at him and say, that's your problem. You made the deal. There's no return. This isn't Walmart. No return policy here. And so Judas, faced with his anguish, he throws the money into the temple and he leaves, isolates himself. Guilt, shame, his inability to get past his mistake his failure, and he ultimately hangs himself. That's Judas. Then you have Peter. Peter in the same environment. He was there at the garden when Judas comes and kisses Jesus on the cheek and identifies him. And, you know, Peter is always getting out in front of the the bus, right? Peter's out there. He grabs his sword, and he's going to fight the whole army off. He cuts a guy's ear off. I mean, it's chaos. Peter is just trying to do what he thinks he can do to fix the problem. And so they capture Jesus, and and Jesus rebukes Peter for trying to wield the sword. And he's like, this is a plan. You're messing it up. Just stop. Jesus is taken, and Peter follows at a distance. And he's there with the crowds of people in the courtyard while this stuff is unfolding. And someone standing next to Peter says, aren't you one of his disciples? A moment of decision. There's a moment of decision right there for Peter. And guess what? Given two choices, he picked the wrong one. I don't know who he is. I'm just here for the show. It happens another time. And then it happens a third time. And all of a sudden, Peter hears a rooster crow. And he remembers that Jesus said when he was bragging about how no one would ever take Jesus. And I'm going to fight with you. Everybody else will leave you, but I'll never leave you. I'm always here. I'm the guy you can depend on. Jesus looked and said, Peter, I appreciate the, the dramatics here. But you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows tomorrow morning or tomorrow evening. He's like, that's not going to happen. And sure enough, it happens. Peter's devastated. The Bible says that he left that space and he began to weep. He found himself in a corner and just crying and broken. And here is where everything changes. The disciples are in chaos. They don't know what's going to happen. Judas is gone. He leaves everyone and everything and goes and identifies himself as a betrayer and a loser and commits suicide. I don't know the time frame. The Bible doesn't give us a clear time picture there, but it was shortly around that time frame. Peter denies Christ publicly. The Bible says he curses and swears that he doesn't know him. But Peter goes back to his community. He goes back to the other disciples. He goes back to the people that he understands and that know him. He realizes he made a mistake. He realizes he failed. He's crushed. He's broken. Will he ever have the opportunity to tell Jesus, I'm sorry. I did not. I don't know what happened to me. I just did the wrong thing. That time was gone. The next time that Peter would see Jesus, he would be on a cross. 
No fixing that one, right? That's gone. That's done. That ship has sailed. But Peter doesn't find himself alone, isolated, disconnected from his community. Instead, he goes back to the people that understand him, that value him. The scripture doesn't tell us these details, but I wonder if Peter doesn't just pour it all out and say, guys, I have really messed up. I don't know that Jesus will ever forgive me for this. I completely, in the moment when I should have been strong, I was at my worst. He's with his group. Things progress. Jesus is in the tomb. Three days have passed. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, are going, in Mark chapter 16, they're going to the tomb because it was customary for the Jews to go and anoint the the preserved body with spices and continue that ritual for a period of time. So they went to the tomb. And I'm telling a story, you know, you guys probably have heard this story, but I'm spending some minutes telling you this story because you have to understand the significance of what's happening. The two Marys are at the tomb. The stone is rolled. They were worried about how they were going to get the stone moved. They were discussing it. They weren't sure how it was going to happen. When they get there, it was already moved. They're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? This isn't Easter Sunday either, by the way. It's building up to it. (laughs) They go into the tomb, and there's an angel sitting where Jesus' body was laid. I mean, I, I can't even under, imagine what was going through their mind. And he's, he says this to them. He says, don't be alarmed. Well, who would be alarmed in that is, uh, situation? No one, right? Don't be alarmed, he says. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. But he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go you gotta, you gotta, you got to watch this. This is incredible. The angel says to Mary's, he says, go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. There was, a, there was 10 other guys. There was a lot of other people. But Jesus said, listen, angel, I have a very important message that you have to repeat for me. When those two ladies come looking for me, you tell them I'm gone, and you make sure you say it this way. Repeat after me. This is how you're going to say it. You're going to say, tell my disciples and Peter. I don't want you just to lump them all together. I want you to identify Peter. I need to get a message to Peter that I still know who he is. I know he denied me. I know he let me down. I know he failed me in his moment of, you know, when he was talking big talk, talking big game. I know he fell flat on his face. And you tell everybody else I'm coming, but you make sure you mention and let Peter know that I'm coming to see him. He doesn't make mistakes. That's not a typo. That's not one of the the disciples forgetting to write everything down. This was exactly how God intended it to be. The message for you today is this. You will fail. The message after that is... Don't quit there because Jesus isn't concerned about your failures. He's concerned about you getting back up and continuing on the path that he's charted for you because you will make mistakes. You will do the wrong. Where is God in my failure? He's right there with you. That's where he is. He's right there with you. It's amazing because you fast forward into John, the 21st chapter. Jesus has ascended or has resurrected. He's already seen the disciples once, but the disciples are together. Peter's bored. He's going stir crazy. He's like, I'm going fishing. He gets on the boat. Some of the disciples go with him. They fish for a while. They're coming in. They haven't caught anything. There's a man on the shore beside a fire. He yells out, hey, you guys catch anything? No, haven't caught anything. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. They throw the net on the other side of the boat. Instantly, it's full. 
Peter says, I know who's on the shore. That's Jesus because this has happened before in my life. Jumps out of the boat, goes to Jesus. They have a conversation. They're having, you know, Jesus has fish on the coals. They're eating. They're having a good time. And Jesus goes to Peter. You get a track. This is incredible. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Okay, time passes. Jesus, hey, Peter, do you love me? I already answered that question, yeah. Time passes a minute or two, and hey, Peter, do you love me? Seriously? <laughs> Three times? Three times I got to answer this question? I wonder at what point the hammer didn't strike Peter right between the running lights, and he's like, V8 moment. <laughs> wow. I denied him three times, and he just asked me again three times. And then that's not where Jesus stops, though. And here's the beauty of this. You've got to get this. It wasn't just that Jesus was asking three times, you know, to cover for the... No. After the third time, when the Bible says Peter was getting a little irritated, Jesus says, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to take what I've given you and feed my lambs. Are you, are you seeing this pattern here? Failure is irrelevant to God. Moving beyond it is everything because he still had a plan for Peter. Yes, yes he denied him. It didn't matter because he said, I'm sorry, I want to do better. It's not who I am. I'm not a denier. I'm a follower. I'm not a failure. I'm a success. I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. I'm not a hater. I'm a lover. <laughs> I, I'm not all those things that people try to pin on me because of my mistakes. We cannot be identified by the mistakes we make. We must be identified through Christ who has bought us. Man, that's awesome. He said, I want you to know that even though you've messed up, I still have a big plan for you. You have got to understand this. Where is God when I do wrong? There are three quick things. Almost done. Three quick things. Don't quit your journey of doing what is right because you failed. Falling does not disqualify you or make you less righteous. Getting back up and dusting yourself off is the key. And the beauty of it is, is we have an advocate that will pick us up every single time we fall. Secondly, don't separate yourself from your community. The people that believe in you, that fight for you, Trust God's plan for your life. Those are the people that you need to be around when you feel like you're at your worst. We have a tendency when we fail to pull away. We have a tendency when we know we're making the mistakes to pull away from people that want to encourage us and love on us and help us stay on the right path. Nobody wants to hear, you really should make a better choice, right? We just want to make the choice and have everybody tell us the right one. We always want to hear things. We want people to tell us certain things. But sometimes we need to know that in that community of believers that love us, they're saying, look, you're heading down the wrong path, but I'm here to fight for you. Don't isolate. Don't pull away from your community. The reason why at this church we have things like growth track, we have things like the dream team, we have small groups is because we're building community because we believe that is the way we stay on the right path. The Bible says confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Isn't it enough for me just to tell Christ I'm sorry? No, it's not because he knows the way we're wired. We already talked about this law that, Pete, that, that, that Paul wrote about. There's a law that's working in us and the best way Way to deal with that law is to connect with people that are fighting just like you're fighting, that believe in you. Don't abandon your community. Don't do like Judas and isolate and own all of your failure and identify yourself as the betrayer. Instead, 
Connect with the people that love you. Connect with community that values you, that sees the God calling in your life and that will fight for you because when you're weak, they will support you. Never, ever underestimate the power of God's forgiveness. If there was one thing you remember today, remember that one. Never underestimate the power of God's forgiveness. He paid the price for you a long time ago. Don't cash out. Don't cash out because you failed. Don't cash out because you've been in a series of bad decisions. Start today. Start now because he is ready to forgive.